y'all just join me in a moment of prayer? Jesus. What a powerful name you have. It's not just your name that's powerful, it's you. It's the power that, <laughs> that can live in us when we have relationship with you through the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that uh, uh, your power would continue to rule and reign in this place, in our lives. And as we open your word together this morning, God, we know that you're using uh, the word of God <laughs> interpreted to us through the Holy Spirit in community to teach us, to change us, to move us closer to you. And so, God, I do pray that you would, uh, <laughs> you would just make way for that in every heart and mind here that as we join together in this, that we would be open to what you are doing in our hearts and our minds and our lives because of the truth. And for us, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, my name is Blake. And uh, if you don't know my name, and uh, I'm glad you're here with us this morning. And if this is your first time, we're excited that you're here with us. Uh, here at Christ Community, we try to make much of that name, Jesus. Uh, Christ Community Church hits first for a reason. And um, every week, we just want to come together to worship that name, to raise him up high, to tell stories of how he's changed us, and, uh, and then hopefully to, to go outside, right? To join him in this uh, incredible mission to help people know the power of the name of Jesus. And so we're excited that you're here with us if it's your first time. And uh, we've been going through uh, the book of Mark all year. Uh, in this season, we've landed on a series called I Have Decided, and we are following Jesus to the cross. And today, we are uh, we're to the cross. <laughs> today, we're to the cross. Next week, uh, uh, spoiler alert, he's going to get up from the dead and be away from the cross. Uh, <laughs> spoiler. Uh, and then the following week, uh, we want to encourage you two weeks from now to, uh, to invite your friends Invite your neighbors, invite those that you've been praying for uh, to, uh, to a special day where we just want to introduce them to this man that we've gotten to know better as we followed him to the cross. So that's kind of where we are in, uh, in the course of things. Uh, but today, we spend time at the cross. Uh, I've been in ministry for uh, a little while now, and, and in one of my early ministries, I was a high school minister, and uh, there was a young man in our ministry uh, that uh, could have taken on a lot of labels that culture would have liked to have given him. Uh, I'll simply use the term troubled teen for today. Uh, this young man who had a lot of things going on in his life, had a lot of difficulties, um, and because of that, socially, he was pretty awkward, pretty unaccepted. He was an outcast, uh, no doubt. And uh, as a young whippersnapper right out of college, I wasn't really sure what to do with that. And uh, I'll never forget the day that his parents uh, walked into my office and they were crying, not sure what to do, and they were asking for my help. And I was like, I, I would love to help you, but I'm not sure how. I'm not sure what to do with that. And they're like, well, how about this? Would you just come over to our house once a week after school and spend time with him? Yeah, I can, I can do that. I can do that. So I started going to this young man's house, spending time with him. Uh, the day largely consisted of two things, three things, 
uh, we would, were going through this book called Wild at Heart that I would recommend to any uh, young man or parent of young men. Uh, and that was, that was fun. We spent time just laughing and hanging out. And uh, we also spent a, a crazy, uh, unusual amount of time playing Mario Kart. Uh, I got really good at Mario Kart when I was spending time with this guy, um, although he was always better than me. And, uh, and I love spending time with him. And as we continue to, to build a relationship and to build trust, this one day he, he, he finally came out and hit me with this question, right? This question that I didn't really have a good answer for. And the question, he looked me in the eye and he said, Blake, if, if God loves me, why wouldn't he take away my desire to hurt myself? Why wouldn't he take that away from me? I was like, oh, man. Let me go back to college real quick. I'm not sure what they say about that, right? And we just had to sit in that moment. We had to pray. We, you know, we, had to, we, had to, we had to say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, right? It was difficult. And I think if many of us uh, really you know, strip things away, we're real, we get past the busyness of life. There's a lot of these really difficult questions that are surfacing underneath us. If God is real, then why doesn't he take away my pain? If, if God's good, then why does he allow bad things to happen? If God is just, why does he allow injustice to continue, right? If God loves all people, why doesn't he just automatically forgive my sin? Like, why do I need to repent? Why do I need to ask for forgiveness? If God loves the church, then why doesn't he protect it from evil people, like pedophiles and thieves and gossips? If God's in control, then why doesn't he get things under control? <laughs> right? There's some difficult questions. There's some difficult questions. And as we come to this account of Jesus on the cross... I was drawn, as I read through it uh, several times, to verse 31 and verse 32. Maybe for the first time I realized that there was people like me, like us, that wrestled essentially with the same thing. And in these two verses we read this. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him, right? The question that's, that's underlying this that we can kind of fill the blanks in on is, if God is, fill in something, right? If God is good, if God loves me, if God is righteous, if he's holy, if he's just, then why doesn't he fill in the blank, right? We're searching, we're seeking, we want to, we want to know the answer to these questions, God, I mean, how are we supposed to know what to do when there's so many questions that we have about God? How can we decide to follow Jesus when we're still wrestling down these questions? How are we supposed to decide to follow Jesus when it seems hard to tell if Jesus is even fighting for himself? Why don't you just come down off the cross, Jesus? Why don't you just come out as the king of the universe? Why? There was another guy in this story who might have been waffling with similar thoughts that day. We meet him in verses 39 and following. It says, when the centurion, who was standing opposite him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Truly, this man was the Son of God. I love this. 
in the biblical culture of Jerusalem, there might not have been a greater representation of a rough, tough, manly man than the centurion. These men were commanders of, of hundred men armies. They were incredible leaders with strong minds, great courage. They had tremendous influence and respect. This man was a man. He was a man. And as he watches Jesus take his last breath, the last shred of life in Jesus, his last ability to just breathe is what convinces this man that Jesus was the Son of God. But I love this visual range of people that Mark shows to us here in his gospel. And I I pray that we don't miss this because, man, our our culture is so good at this too. We're we're in the middle of all these conversations. We talk about the centurion, and he makes this bold, declarative statement. This was the Son of God. But in the very next verse, it says, There were also women watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women followed him, and they took care of him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. I love this visual range because in biblical times, in their culture, if the centurion stood as this strong representative, this this individual who was a manly man, then on the other end in Bible times, in their culture, we have women who, God help us, had no value outside of men, considered to be worthless. And yet Mark is reminding us of the power of the gospel, the power of the cross, and this visual range of people. He says, here's the centurion who who says, this was the Son of God, but in the very next breath, he's reminding us of these women watching from a distance, the strength of a mother to watch her son die in excruciating pain. The strength of women who followed him and, and took care of him, watching as he was horrifically tortured. And if that doesn't express the strength of their belief, then I don't know what does. And so here Mark, the author, graces us with this beautiful picture of the range of people who can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There is no one too strong, too weak, too tough, too worthless. And at the same time, may we not miss that in the shadows of the cross, there is no difference in value of this centurion and of these women. Their value at the cross is not determined by their gender or their status, but simply by their belief that Jesus is the Son of God. One expressed by words, the other expressed by the incredible strength of their presence, simply being there. But let's be people for a minute, right? Believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is really hard. It's a really difficult thing to do. The world tells us that you can have your belief and I can have mine. And we can both be right. We can just avoid each other and it's all good, right? Have you had that conversation with someone? The world tells us, follow your heart. Follow follow your heart. Isn't that belief? If I just followed my heart, right? If I'm just being 100% honest with you, if I followed my heart, I would end up in bad places with bad people doing bad things. That's what would happen if I followed my heart. My heart, apart from Christ, is incredibly bad. The world tells us not to trust anyone further than we can throw them. You've heard that said, right? Don't trust what you can't see. 
is the implication. Don't trust what you can't understand. As much as I love my wife, I know that I don't understand my wife. I love her, but I don't understand her all the time. And if you're married and you can't say the same, then God bless you. But I trust her completely. I trust her completely. Certainly a creator God has given us the capacity to have faith in things that we cannot see. You see, even our ability to believe that Jesus is the Son of God is an incredible grace and an incredible gift to us. It's hard to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but thanks be to God who gives us grace even in these things to say, I believe. It's hard to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's hard to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. But why is it so hard? Why? We know our struggles. We know our temptations from the time of our birth. We know the effects of others' sin in our lives since birth. We deal with sin and its effects. We try to reconcile the problem of evil in our human brains, and we, we just can't at times. Why is that? Perhaps, just, just maybe, we are more like the people who led Jesus out to be crucified than we might think. Because, you see, in order to protect ourselves, we do some really stupid things, some really crazy things. We do those in order to, to avoid being hurt or or to avoid being real, we, we put up veils to keep us from having to face our sin and the effects of sin in our lives because it's just easier that way. And there's all kinds of things that create this veil between us and God. And, and what's ironic and, and, and maybe not ironic all at the same time is that we see so many of the things that we wrestle and struggle with exposed in the story of those who led Jesus out to be crucified. We get lost in the crowd, just like the soldiers who found comfort just being part of the group. Not one soldier was willing to, to stand out of the crowd and say, are we sure that this is the right thing to do? But instead it was easier just to say, I'll join in. And we wonder what the value in standing out for Jesus really is. Because life is easier when we don't. Amen? <laughs> it is for me. We mock those that we don't understand, just like the soldiers who hailed the king of the Jews with laughter. Today it's even worse. We can mock people whose names we don't even know and, and almost forget their humanity. We mock those we do know because we fail to understand why they are who they are and why they do what they do. And it's easier to, to punch down, to mock, than it is to just get to know someone. We attack others like the soldiers who spit on him and, and hit him with a stick. And, and we do it often, oftentimes, I don't think we even do it to hurt the other person, but rather to defend ourselves or to increase our own influence. We passively carry the cross like Simon did, afraid of what might happen to him. And we still watch passively today. Maybe we're not actively racist or we're not actively sexist, but passively we're allowing the cross to be carried on our shoulders not standing up for what is right. Before long, we fail to see the humanity of Jesus just as the soldiers who cast lots for his clothes. It's like we forget that people are people. 
Today we forget the humanity of those who maybe lost everything in, in a fire, just like it taps feed in our community this week. We, we forget the humanity of people who are navigating life without a loved one. We're there at the funeral, but three days later, how are they feeling? How are they making it through the day? We forget people's humanity when we, we forget that they're battling demons from their past that they might not even be able to identify or recognize in their lives. And we just press on because we've got things to do. And then we walk by and we shake our head in disappointment just as those who passed by Jesus that day did. All because we can't wrestle down our own stuff. We become so disappointed in Jesus that we can't hardly imagine deciding to follow him. Because Jesus, if you are good, then why don't you fix this, right? The question underlying our questions. The truth is that it has nothing to do with him, but rather everything to do with us. He is good, and we are not. And as all those things begin to, to stack up in our lives, questions of resentment and doubt and things that we begin to do just as those who led Jesus out to be crucified, the veil is placed between us and God. Darkness consumes us, just as Casey shared in her story. And when we're in those seasons of darkness, how do we respond? The long chain of covering up our own insecurities and sin and pain it just all compounds until we're no longer able to see God. And that must mean that God isn't there. He isn't real. This doesn't just happen to the unbeliever. It happens to all of us in different seasons of life. And what happens is, is we end up making decisions in life based on what we see rather than on what we believe. And that's a dangerous place to be in. Because when we begin to make decisions on what we see rather than on what we believe, we will no doubt be left unsatisfied. Because what is seen, there is no hope in. There is only hope in what we believe. But what did Jesus do when he was in the midst of the darkness? Dying on a cross for sins he didn't commit. What did he do in the darkness? Verse 33. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you abandoned me? Jesus did what we so often do not. In the middle of darkness, struggling to see God in the midst of his suffering, he cries out to him anyway. He cries out to him anyway. Do you, do you, oh, this gets me amped up. You see, to ask where God is in the midst of our darkness and our pain is not to express our lack of faith, but to express our faith that he is there. We just don't know where. It's a beautiful thing. It's a great grace to us. Many over the years have I believe, misused this quote to suggest that God was not with his son, Jesus. That he couldn't look upon sin, right? We sang it in the old hymn for years. The father turned his face away. I'll try not to sing anymore. Perhaps he did. I don't know God that way. 
but I don't think so. Because you see, Jesus, in the midst of this darkness, in the pinnacle of his pain, is actually quoting from Scripture. He's quoting from Psalm 22. Because you see, in asking where God is, he is acknowledging that he believes God is there. He just doesn't know where. He believes. <laughs> he believes, and he's making the decision to cry out to God based on what he believes, not on what he sees. I just want to read Psalm 22 with you. It's, uh, it's amazing. If you've got your Bible, turn to Psalm 22 with me. We're going to have it on the screen as well. Father, just give, give someone hope. <laughs> My Bible, I'm using the CSB. It's not better than anything else. It's just what I like to use. And the little title is From Suffering to Praise. It's kind of long, so just hang in there. It's amazing. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. But you're holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. Just going to stop for a minute, right? Number one, have you ever felt some of the things that you're reading here in Psalm? That life is dried up, that it's so difficult, that it's hard? Christ can identify with you no matter where you are in your season of life. But number two, isn't God's word amazing? That long before Jesus was ever going to die on the cross, long before any of these things that we read in Mark 15 happened, he had revealed them to be true through his word, through the writing of David and Psalm. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of those dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. You answered me, and I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly, you who fear the Lord. Praise him, all who, you descendants of Jacob. Honor him, all you descendants of Israel. Revere him, for he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. How comforting is that? That when we cry for help in the midst of our darkness, when we are veiled between God and we don't see where he is in our circumstances, oh, 
I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life, their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Our questions, your questions for God are often our realest expression of faith in God. And as we begin to ask those questions, and by those questions, let God know that we believe he is there, we just don't know where, he rescues us, he saves us. But more than that, when he dies, the veil is torn. You see, in this moment where he cries out, where he quotes scripture in his darkest hour, and breathes his last and dies, the veil is torn from top to bottom. You see, this veil, it separated what was known as the Holy of Holies from everything else in the temple. It was the earthly dwelling place of God himself in the Old Testament. Men were not even allowed to go there except for once a year by the high priest, and he would go in and make a payment for the people's sins. Near 60 feet, top, 60 feet tall was this veil, and it was torn from top to bottom. This tells us that this wasn't like Peter hanging out in the corner, like ripping it, you know, when it wasn't him. He wasn't trying to make up for all the wrong that he'd done and the doubt that he'd had. God himself tore the veil from top to bottom when Jesus died. Jesus had paid for our sin. And the relationship between us and God was able to be restored. The darkness that separates you and God, Christ can rip it from top to bottom and restore your relationship with the creator of the universe. The veil was torn, and so too can yours be. There may always be remnants of sin in your life. You might never forget the pain, but you can live free from it. You might never be able to understand it all or to wrap your brain around some of the questions that you have, but you can know that Jesus is the Son of God and pursue understanding in light of that. Let's see how. And let's see what that looks like for a common, everyday Joe. Mark 15, verses 42 through 46. Jesus is dead. It says, when it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joe of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. I love the details of Scripture, right? Who cares that he's a prominent member of the Sanhedrin? We care, and you know why we care? Because only days ago, the Sanhedrin was the first to sentence Christ to death. Joe was there. Joe allowed that to happen. A prominent member of the Sanhedrin who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. 
Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. And when he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. And after he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And then he laid him in a tomb, cut out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Hello? Joseph, right? You kind of just want to look this guy in the eye. Be like, hey, Joseph, didn't somebody tell you you were the one who condemned Jesus? The king of the universe, you were there. You sentenced him to death. You have no right to be the one to get to bury him. Get your hands off my king. Joe, you don't have any right to this. Joseph, why would Pilate give you the body? You don't deserve it. You don't deserve to bury the king, Joseph. Isn't that the narrative that forms in our minds because of the sin in our lives? You don't deserve to be a part of God's kingdom. What makes you think you have the right to be the church? Why would God ever use you to lead someone else to Christ? It was your sin that got him on the cross in the first place. You have no right to honor God. Your life is too broken, too messed up, too many mistakes. Why would God trust you to share the good news that Jesus is alive? Shouldn't he use a righteous person? Shouldn't he use a pastor? You don't deserve to worship Jesus. You don't deserve to have freedom in Christ. You don't deserve to be a part of the church. But Joseph, by faith, in the Son of God, that Jesus was the Son of God, did the best next thing. He just did the best next thing. Instead of being held back by excuses or his past, he just decided to do what was right, no matter what it cost him. Because you see, you and I, before the veil was torn by the death of Jesus Christ that restored our relationship to the Creator God, we are mockers. We are protectors of self. We are attackers who neglect people's humanity including our own at times. We are passively carrying the weight of sin around, too afraid to say that something in our lives isn't right. We are trapped by the questions that we can't wrap our human brains around. But the good news, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that after the veil is torn, we are new. We are changed. We are different. We, just like Joe, are bold, We are bold enough to declare an unpopular belief that Jesus is alive. Pilate's like, he's alive? you got to be kidding me. Isn't that that kind of what unbelievers do today? Jesus is alive? you got to be kidding me. You believe that stuff? We are bold enough to ask for the body that you condemned. Bold enough to ask Jesus to save you, knowing that your sin put him on the cross. Jesus, I know I messed up, and because I messed up, you had to die on the cross. But will you save me anyway? I mean, it's a bold request. To seek salvation in Jesus Christ. You are bold enough to say, I don't know the answer to that question, but I know the God who does. You are bold enough to just do the next best thing, trusting that God is guiding and protecting you. And you, we read in Scripture, are bold enough in Christ to approach the throne of God himself because the veil is turned and the Holy of Holies is open to you. I don't just say that because I made it up. I say it because it's what we read in Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Let's not like run past that phrase. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. When we are in Christ, we don't have to like, we can put away all those battles with what our conscience says because it is sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ. It makes for a really terrible sermon because I could try to make you feel bad and then say, you need Jesus. But the truth is that when you have Jesus, you don't have to feel bad. That's good news. And our bodies washed in pure water. So let us hold on to the confession of our hope. <laughs> right? Let us hold on to what we believe, not to what we see, without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Why did Jesus die? What does it matter when, when I go to make my decision about how I'm spending my time and, and, and how I'm living my life? Why did he die? He died to forgive my sins, yes. But he died to restore that relationship, to cut through the darkness, to give us a hope and to cleanse our evil consciences so that we can live as new creations. Thanks be to God for that. So today... Be bold with those who don't want to hear you say that Jesus is alive and he wants to change your life. It may be a family member that you see tomorrow. Be bold enough to ask Jesus to save you from the sins that put him on the cross. If you've never asked him for that, it's a scary thing to ask. I get it. Ask him. Be bold enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, knowing that God has given you that grace to believe in him. Be bold enough to say, I'm sorry to those you have wronged. Be bold enough to draw near to God, to get really close to God in his word and in community and through the spirit and say to God, now what? What's the next best thing for me to do? And it may be as humbling as burying the body of Jesus Christ. But in that act of obedience, you find life again. Maybe you won't bury somebody, but maybe there's a humble act of obedience, a simple, small thing that God is asking you to do next. And if you'll only do that, you will unlock all that God has for you. This week, do something so bold that someone tries to verify that your God is real. Be so bold. Do something so outrageous with the love of Christ that they say, I want to know who he believes in and why he would do. Be bold. Be bold enough to claim that your conscience is cleansed by the blood of Christ and does not have to live in guilt and shame. Be bold. Be bold and decide to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, even this prayer is a result of the actions that you took that day, dying on the cross and ripping the veil from top to bottom. We can pray to the creator of the universe because the relationship is restored. We have full access to you. And so in light of that, God, 
I just pray that in this moment, we would all be lifting up our hearts and our minds and in prayer to you. That this isn't about Blake praying to, to you for everybody else. That this is about us reconnecting with you, claiming that, man, the darkness is gone. You've cleansed me, and I am bold enough to approach your throne. Huh. It's amazing. And so, God, I just, uh, I just ask and pray that in this moment, as we respond to, to that truth, I pray, God, that the veils of darkness are, are cut in two in people's lives. That for those in this room who have never, never had the boldness to approach you and say, I want a relationship with the Creator God. God, I pray that you would, that you would give them the boldness to, to step out of their chair today, to come and meet me in the back and pray. God, I pray that you would give them that boldness. God, I pray that you would be with those who, man, they're believers and they've been walking in a season of darkness and they don't know where you are, I pray, God, that you would give them the courage, the boldness to ask the hard question, to express that they believe even though they can't see. Break those chains of darkness in their lives today, God, we pray. Work in this place, Spirit. Lead each person as only you can. Lead us to our best next thing. We pray in Jesus' name.